Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday evening chapel. I have a I have a very serious question I want to ask. Anybody cold? Now, an even uh, more serious tag to that question, uh, and this I mean seriously, does everybody in the room have what they need to be warm? Okay. If, if that's not the case, um, you don't have enough coats, don't have enough blankets, don't have enough heat, um, come see me after chapel, all right? Is it a deal? I want uh, President Graves to introduce the speaker for the evening, Dr. Graves. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You know, this cold is nothing really. You, you just got to learn to dress for it. <laughs> See, I mean, you know, you just you put on one of these under here and then one of a shirt and a sweater and a coat and yeah, you know, you're just fine. It's just good to, to be together tonight, and there's a couple of people, I, I'd like, three people I'd like to introduce as we begin. First, before I introduce our speaker tonight, I'd like to introduce Dr. Eddie Estep. Where is Dr. Estep? Please stand. Dr. Estep is the district superintendent for the South Carolina District. And, uh, and, and Dr. Estep is a, is, a, is a wonderful friend. Uh, he served on this board of trustees uh, and before his uh, appointment as district superintendent. And uh, before that, when we pastored together in Ohio, we sat next to each other on the board of trustees at Mount Vernon Nazarene University. And we always had interesting dialogue while the business was going on. <laughs> <laughs> Trading sermons and stories and this type of thing, but uh, it's just, Dr. Estep, it's, it's just a joy to have you on the campus. He's here interviewing students, and aren't you thankful, students, that district superintendents will travel as far as South Carolina to come here to meet you, to inter, inter, interview you, and, and, to, and to, to think of an opportunity for you to serve. Would you just show your appreciation? Thank you. Now, our special uh, speaker tonight is, is a, a, a friend for 40 years. Is that right? Something like that. So it's 30 or 40? 40, yeah, yeah. 40 years, yeah. And uh, uh, we were in the nursery together. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyways. But let, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. David Wilson. Dr. Wilson served for... 23 years as a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene. In 2000, he was elected district superintendent of the North Central Ohio uh, District. Uh, he served in that capacity until in 2007, he was elected the general secretary of the Church of the Nazarene. Now, if you don't know what a general secretary does and, and that type of thing, uh, and, and you fell asleep in manual class. What do we call that class here? History and polity. History and polity? If you fell asleep in that class, get your manual out and read the several pages of, of job description for the general secretary. 
uh, and he, he not only serves as general secretary of the Church of the Nazarene, but also uh, uh, he, headquarters operations head. I don't know. He's headquarters operations officer, which means that just about everybody at international headquarters reports to Dr. Wilson. And uh, it's such an honor for us to have our general secretary uh, on, on our campus uh, tonight. I asked Dr. Stelting today, I said, when was the last time we had a general secretary of the Church of the Nazarene speaking in chapel? And he said, you know, I, I really can't remember. And uh, so it's, it's an honor and a privilege for us to have uh, Dr. Wilson here tonight. Uh, he's a graduate of Olivet Nazarene University. Uh, he has his Master's of Divinity from Nazarene Theological Seminary. His Doctorate of Ministry from Asbury Theological Seminary. And uh, just a wonderful, wonderful friend. And with him tonight is his lovely wife, Joy. So Dave and Joy, would you please stand so we can welcome you tonight. And we've worked him hard today. He's spoken uh, chapel this morning and uh, met with our faculty in, in a brown bag uh, uh, development luncheon today. And uh, so you're going to enjoy hearing from him tonight. God bless you, Dave. It's just good to have you here. Love you, man. Well, I've been having the time of my life today. I really have. It's, uh, it's been a, an incredible treat to be here. I've, I've looked forward to coming since uh, your president invited me. I look forward to coming for several reasons. Uh, I like to preach, and I don't have as many opportunities to preach as I did as a pastor and as district superintendent. But uh, now um, I do have a few opportunities, but to have the opportunity to preach the word of the Lord is, is uh, something that I always want to take advantage of. And uh, then, of course, to spend time with my great friend, Harold Graves, uh, to uh, kind of catch up on, on old times and to find out about uh, how the, the course of life is going here and to hear some good stories about some of you and the way that the Lord is working in your lives and the way the Lord is working here at Nazarene Bible College. What a, what a thrill it has been. This morning... I had a wonderful time with the faculty and staff and at lunch with the faculty and for the brown bag lunch. And I, I've just enjoyed myself thoroughly, thoroughly today. Uh, I, uh, I want to tell you, if, if I were you, I would, I would line up to be on Eddie Eastep's district. He, he is one fine person. Uh, you know, the, the, DS is, the DS title is incidental, really. Uh, Eddie Eastep is one fine person. And if you are getting ready to graduate, I would line up to interview with him. Uh, he has a wonderful district. I always tell young prospective pastors to choose their district superintendents wisely. You know, make sure, you know, because uh, a good district superintendent can really help you as you get ready to go into your assignments in ministry. And this is one good one right here. So if you have the opportunity to talk with him, take advantage of it. I, I've been looking forward to seeing you, to being here with you. I know that, that most of you 
have made big sacrifices to come here as students. You answered the call of God on your life, and God has been faithful to bring you to this point. My guess is that probably there are times when you question him, when you wonder just what he has in mind for your life. But I, I can assure you that uh, you have my respect and great appreciation for your call, your answer to God's call on your life. Now, I'm going to say something that some of you will disagree with. You might want to take issue with me. But the truth is, these may be some of the best days of your life. College years are tremendous. They're great opportunities for you. Believe it or not, it's not going to last that much longer. The time is going to come when you are going to graduate. You will have the opportunity to walk across the front of this stage and receive your diploma. You will need to have a few years of perspective, perhaps, to gain the perspective that you need. But you will be able to look back on this experience someday and give glory to God for the fact that He sustained you and He helped you, and you'll be glad that you made the sacrifice to come here. Time is going to pass quickly for you, and it is going to happen. Now, when you take that first ministry assignment, perhaps you will have the same experience that I did. I had finished two years at the Nazarene Seminary when the call came for me to, to pastor, and right there on the Kansas City District, so I could finish my seminary training. And uh, I went and interviewed with this church, and, and uh, I had had some great experiences. My dad was a pastor. I attended college church at Olivet, and, and uh, then uh, served on staff at a great church in Florida before I went to seminary. And then after I got to seminary, I worked in a, a wonderful church there and, and was attending uh, uh, just a, a great church when the call came uh, for us to, to serve in Independence Trinity. And on that first Sunday, we had 42 people in church. And I think it was sometime about mid-afternoon, as we were fellowshipping with some of the people in the church, that it suddenly dawned on me that I was responsible for the spiritual welfare of 42 people. I thought like someone just put a noose around my neck and started pulling a little bit tighter. And, and I began to really be uneasy about that. I remember in the afternoon getting on my knees and saying, oh Lord, let something happen in the evening service that will assure me that, that you have called me to this place. Nothing happened. <laughs> All he did was sustain me in the midst of that time. And you know, every morning for the next week, every single morning, I'd get out of bed and I'd walk across from the parsonage to the church, and I would get down on my knees at the altar and talk to the Lord about the fact that he had brought me to my first ministry assignment and to say to him, Lord, are you sure this was the right thing? And God gave me enough grace for that day. And then at the end of that day, I would go to bed, get up the next morning, and the old doubts would still would come flooding back. And that went on all week long until the day before my second Sunday as a pastor. I was cutting the lawn 
We had 11 acres. I was cutting the lawn, okay? And suddenly the Spirit of God broke through all the anxiety and began to give me hope and a vision for what He wanted at Independence Trinity. You know, I've never lost this sense of responsibility for the spiritual welfare of other people. Even, even now, in my assignment as General Secretary, I feel a deep sense of responsibility for the spiritual welfare of those around me. In one day, last week, I had an opportunity to pray with the General Superintendent as he got ready to go to, to Indonesia. I had a chance to pray with a, a new person who came into our office to work. I had a chance to pray for a pastor over a telephone who was going through a tough time. I've never lost that sense of responsibility for the spiritual welfare of other people. And someday you are going to face those same kinds of opportunities. Someday that is going to come. But right now you're doing what you should be doing. You are preparing yourself to teach and to preach, to tell others about Jesus Christ. But when that day comes, someday, because you're the pastor, they're going to come to you and they're going to ask you questions about God, about Jesus Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about the church and about the various circumstances of their lives, and they're going to talk with you about that, and they're going to expect you to have some answers at least, because you're the pastor. And so I would say to you that what you're doing now is extremely important. You are learning about Christ in your Bible classes, in your theology classes, in practice classes. You're learning how to put those things in, into practice. And you can't share what you don't know. So I'm going to tell you to keep strong your commitment in your studies. But I have a different burden tonight that I want to talk with you about. And it is a burden that, that uh, really, really has been on my mind, on my thoughts, uh, these last days as Dr. Graves asked me to come and share the word with you. And here is my burden tonight. While you are learning about Christ. And while you are learning to teach others about Jesus Christ, please remember that it is even more important for you to know him personally. For you to experience him in your life. Now you know there's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. I'm a, I have a, a great interest in the United States presidency. A few years ago, someone gave me the, one of the nicest gifts I've ever received, gave me a leather-bound volume of every United States president. I mean, beautiful, beautiful volume. They, they're in my home right now. I made sure that I unpacked those books. And I have those there in a treasured place, in a safe place, because I, I just have this thing. And I've got a lot of books on other presidents as well. I have 35 books on John F. Kennedy because I'm particularly interested in John F. Kennedy. I can tell you a lot about John F. Kennedy. I can tell you a lot about some of the other presidents, but I've never even met one of them. There's a big difference between knowing about someone 
and knowing someone personally. Knowing someone involves self-disclosure. And you are not going to share yourself with someone you don't know very well. And you're not going to be too interested in hearing about them either. It'll make you uncomfortable. Now I think the Apostle Paul understood that dynamic. And he set out to make it his life's mission to know Christ. In fact, he said, in a little jail cell in Rome, chained to an elite member of the Roman guard, he began to reminisce and think back about his life and what it had been like. He said, there was a time in my life when I tried to prove my self-worth and I tried to prove myself to God through my heritage and through personal effort. But he said, I've given it all up because I've discovered that the most important thing in life is knowing Jesus Christ. And then he said this. He said, he, said, he talked to him, this is what I would call the, his mission statement in life. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering to become like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. There is nothing like knowing Christ, really coming to know Christ. Now friends, it's important that you know about Jesus Christ. Because someday when those people come to you and ask you, ask you questions about God and about Jesus and about all these other things, the answer you give them is going to help shape their understanding of God and of Christ. So you better be accurate. You better know what you're talking about. But dear friends, tonight I want you to see above everything else that you will not help them to know Christ personally unless you know him yourself. Now what do you think it means to know Christ? What do you really think it was involved in this? Well, as I have looked at, as, at this uh, mission statement of, of the Apostle Paul, I believe this mission statement gives us some clues, and I want to share those clues. I'd like for us to talk a little bit about that. The life and ministry of Jesus was defined by three things. His suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And Paul recognized that if he was going to experience Christ, really know Christ, then he needed to identify with Christ in those ways. He needed to understand the suffering of Christ personally to be like him in his death. And so somehow, as he said, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. But let's look first of all at that, that phrase that says the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Think about the suffering of Christ for a moment. Probably where you go to church or someplace here in the city, 
there is a passion play or something like that around Easter time. And a great deal of energy and effort has been made to make these passion plays realistic to demonstrate the suffering of Jesus Christ as he prepared to, to uh, give his life for the world. You know, you've seen, you've heard, you've read about how Jesus suffered. That he was beaten, he was whipped within an inch of his life, I mean almost until he died. And then he was nailed to a cross. The cross was jammed down into the ground. And Jesus Christ hung there and died an agonizing death. You know that story. He died a horrible, agonizing death. He suffered greatly in a way that he did not deserve to suffer. But as I've thought about this, and as I've thought about the suffering of Christ, as it became Paul's ambition to share in the sufferings of Christ, it occurred to me that the Apostle Paul physically suffered even more than Jesus did. 2 Corinthians 11 tells us, and Paul in his own words said, that he received the same beating that Christ did, not once, but five times. Where he was, where he was lashed with the Roman whip until he almost died. Three times he said, I was beaten with rods. One time he said, I was stoned and left for dead. And that was just the beginning of the sufferings, physical sufferings, of the Apostle Paul. So if it was his ambition to know the sufferings of Christ from a physical standpoint, he, he discovered what that meant and far exceeded the physical sufferings of Jesus. But I don't think that that's what he was talking about when he talked about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. The suffering with which he sought to identify with Jesus Christ was when Jesus made the decision that he was going to live his life in a way that would bring him into conflict with the world around him. Not just the Roman world, but also the church world. That he was going to confront the status quo. That he was not going to let it be business as usual. That he was going to confront those aspects. And so he began to teach people to love their enemies instead of hating them. To forgive those who persecuted them. He even went after the religion of the time that that pushed people away from God rather than drew God to them, or rather than drew people to God. Jesus confronted the status quo, the comfortableness in people's lives. And I want to tell you tonight, you've heard it before, but I want to be another voice to say the same thing to you, that a life in ministry is a life that often leads us to confront the status quo. And when you do, you will not be a popular person. 
And I really want you to see tonight, because I don't want you to be surprised about it in a couple of years when you're pastoring, when the status quo that you disturb may be the people who are sitting in your pews. And when you realize that you are offending because you are, you are, you are addressing some of the concerns that are contrary to the gospel, you will suffer for it. But I want to tell you something. If you're willing to do that, you will enjoy knowing Christ in a way that those who go with the flow can never understand him and know him. There's another way that Jesus suffered. Luke tells us when he was entering Jerusalem in the triumphal entry story that he stopped and looked over the city of Jerusalem and wept over the city. He was broken hearted and he said, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem if only you had known and he began to weep and to be broken hearted because there were those in the city who had rejected his words resisted the gospel when I think of sharing in the suffering of Christ, I have to recognize that some of the suffering that we do as ministers is when we bring the gospel faithfully to people who may reject it. It occurred to me one day that over the course of my ministry, many more people have rejected the gospel than accepted it. They've heard my words my pleadings, my invitations, they've, they've, they've heard me as I've opened the way to them. And they've resisted it. There is something to be said for pastors who are willing to allow their hearts to be broken because people are not accepting the truth. Let me just say something to you today. May I? I? I have, as a district superintendent for seven years, as a pastor for 23 years, I've encountered many pastors who have become embittered by the fact that people reject them and reject their message. They've become embittered. They've become harsh. They've become angry. instead of allowing their hearts to be broken for people who are lost around them. Heard a story a number of years ago about a group of uh, uh, church board members who went to their district superintendent and said, oh, you have, got to, you have got to bring us a pastoral change. You've got to bring this change. We, we are so sick and tired of listening to the sermons our pastor preaches. All he ever does is preach on hell. We're tired of it. Get him out of here, please. In the course of time, there was a pastoral change, and a new pastor came. And a, and a few months later, the district superintendent saw some of those people and said, how do you like your new pastor? Oh, we love him. All he ever does is preach on hell. He said, wait a minute now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I don't understand. You wanted to get rid of the last guy because he preached on hell, and you, now you, you want to, you love this new man because he preaches on hell. I don't understand. And one wise person said, the first man 
preached like he wanted us to go there. This man preaches like he wants to keep us out. You know what I'm saying to you tonight? When you suffer, when you are broken in your spirit, your people will know that you love them enough to want to keep them out. And when you decide that you want to know Jesus Christ, you really want to know him, you really want to know him, that it means it requires that you are willing, willing to suffer, to take on the sufferings of Jesus Christ, to share in his sufferings, because you have an unwelcome message and you allow yourself to be broken and not embittered by that. Let me ask you tonight, are you willing to share in the sufferings of Christ? There's another dimension to this, to this mission statement. The second part of it talks about becoming like him in his death. Now, now, reading that on the surface, you scratch your head and say, what in the world is wrong with this man? How could he have had a death wish to want to die as Jesus did, nailed to a cross? I don't believe that that's what Paul was talking about. I don't think he was talking about wanting to die I think he was talking about uh, something entirely different. The death with which Paul wanted to identify with Christ was a death that Christ experienced on the Mount of Temptation. Remember the story? After 40 days, the devil came and visited Jesus. And he offered him three alternatives to a destiny that would lead him to the cross. Now, the devil only left him for a time, the scripture tells us. And I have to believe that the devil kept the option open for three years. That at any time, Jesus could have taken him up on one of his offers. In fact, the issue was not resolved until, no, not the cross until Gethsemane. Until that night before the cross, when a desperate Jesus cried out, please daddy, don't make me do this. Find another way. You're God. You're the Father. You can find another way. Please daddy, find another way. But if this is what it takes, I will do it. And even though the death was very painful, the physical death was very painful, the death that Jesus died in Gethsemane was the death with which Paul was seeking to identify. That's what he was saying. I want to put my wishes in second place or farther down the line so that the will of the Father may be lived out. I want to experience this. I want to die the way Jesus did. Die to my own desires. Die to my own will. So that Christ may be lived in me. To become like him in his death. 
You know, something wonderful happens when we come to that point in our lives. You know what happens? We can begin to participate in the third part of this mission statement, the resurrection life. Resurrection living. Resurrection life. Because a person who dies to the will of God, dies to their own personal desires, their own self-will, so that God's will may be lived out in their lives, they experience something that can only be described as a resurrection. The happiest, most satisfied people in this world are those who are not afraid to die, who are not clinging to life, who are not clinging to something that, is, that they believe defines their life, but can release themselves completely to what God wants. You know, those who are, those who are, are wearing the chains of personal ambition are never going to be free enough to do what God wants them to do because they're always going to be afraid that they're going to say the wrong words. They're always going to be afraid that, they're going to, that, they'll, that they'll do the wrong thing until they come to the place where they say, it doesn't matter anymore because the one who's really in charge is the one whose will I want to be lived out in my life. But you know, the best news, the best news is that it doesn't end when this life ends. That resurrection life is assured for everyone who truly does know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings so, some, to, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> I wasn't going to tell you this, but I, I, I think I will. I, this, this is just a, a personal note. Uh, I, I began to understand this. 12 or 13 years ago. Understand this personally. I, I read a, a book by um, Gordon MacDonald, Ordering Your Private World. I would tell you right now, it's one of the most important books I've ever read. Ordering Your Private World. Gordon MacDonald. Some of you are writing it down, so I'm just making sure you got that. In this book, he quotes E. Stanley Jones. E. Stanley Jones had, uh, had, was coming to the end of his life he suffered a stroke that left him unable to write or communicate very well. Someone came and talked to him one day about his faith. And E. Stanley Jones, that great missionary to India, said, I need no outer props to hold up my faith, for my faith holds me. I need no outer props. I, need, I don't need anything to hold my faith up because my faith is strong enough to hold me. And that, was put, that statement was put to a test in my own life personally. When, as uh, I was pastoring at the time, we were in a building program, a big building program, and right in the midst of that, there were two couples in my church who went through uh, uh, broken marriages. And it just so happened that these couples were my best friends. I loved them. The men were my two closest friends in the church. And I was 
exhausted from working with them, but I was also exhausted from wondering what I could have done as their pastor and friend that would have helped them to be able to avoid that in their own lives. It was around Christmas time. We went to a district Christmas dinner and we decided to stay overnight in this beautiful Amish hotel. And early the next morning as I awakened, suddenly I realized that something was very wrong. My heart was racing, just racing. I could hardly count the number of beats it was racing so fast. And I was very anxious about it, as you might well guess. And so I, I, I recovered from that. Somehow I settled down and I recovered from that. I wondered, what in the world? I thought I was having a heart attack or something like that. I said, what's happening here? That happened several more times over the next few weeks. I couldn't put my finger on what was going on. And it came to a head on Christmas Sunday. We had two worship services. I had planned hard, studied hard, worked hard to be able to get ready for that Sunday, and I preached the first message on, in the first service. And as I stepped to the pulpit that morning, I knew that I was going to die before I left the pulpit that morning. There was something going on in my mind. My heart was racing. I was having a panic attack. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And it was a very frightening, agonizing experience. I was not able to preach the second service. I went to the doctor. They ran all kinds of tests. I did a heart catheterization to all kinds of things and didn't get better, didn't get better. And finally, one of the worst nights of my life came on the night before we were supposed to dedicate our brand new facilities. A big day of celebration. Dr. Prince was there to dedicate those facilities and I could not go because I was emotionally and spiritually broken, physically broken. I went to the doctor the next week and sat there and just cried and cried because I didn't know what was wrong. He was trying to reassure me, trying to prescribe the right things. My church graciously granted me an eight-week sabbatical. And during that time, the Holy Spirit prescribed Philippians, from which I've read tonight. And every day for eight weeks, at least once a day, sometimes twice, I read the epistle to the Philippians. And I prayed, oh God, please help me to recover my joy. Help me to recover what I've lost. My joy for life, my joy for ministry. Please help me to recover that. And somewhere in the midst of those of reading Philippians and trying to listen to the Lord and praying and seeking God, I discovered that my faith had not been strong enough to see me through those dark, dark times. Now, I'm not saying to you tonight, I want to hasten to say this. I'm not saying that a person who has panic attacks or anxiety problems, I'm not saying that the, the problem is all a spiritual problem. I'm not saying that to you, but for me it was. There were spiritual issues. 
I mean, if I had died, I'd have gone to heaven. I know that. But the faith, the knowing Christ part of it was not strong enough. I was pastoring a big church. We were going. We were moving. Things were happening. But my faith was not strong enough to sustain me. I'm so thankful for the graciousness of God. <laughs> Someday soon, friends, it won't be long. Even for those of you who just started, it's not going to be long. It's, the time is going to go by quickly. And you will be standing in your first ministry assignment. And you will be telling people about Jesus. But the most important thing is to help them know Jesus personally. And unless you know him, not just know about him, unless you know him, you will not be able to lead them in the way they need to go. I want to know Christ fellowship of sharing in his suffering, to be like him in his death, and somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's how we can come to know Jesus personally. Pray with me, would you? Father, you are incredible to bring us through various experiences in life that will help us, that will help us to come to know you in fresh and new ways. I thank you so very much. I pray for these students. Oh, Father, some of them have given up so much to obey you, to do your will, to follow what you want. Please help them. While they're coming to know about you, please help them to learn to know you, to share in your sufferings, to be willing to do that, to be willing to, to be part of, to participate in your death as Christ died, to his own wishes, his own desires and then to live with that freedom that comes when they have nothing to lose and everything to gain. May your spirit help them and encourage them and bless them, I pray. In Jesus' name. God's grace and peace rest on you tonight as you go from here.
go forth from here seeking to learn about Christ, but more importantly, seeking to know Him personally.